particularly notice verse 9 because that's going to come up later. Um, so you know that Deuteronomy, uh, the second giving of the law, is uh, Moses' final sermon, very long sermon, actually, um, as God's people are ready to enter the land. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Yep. Wow. Thank you. <clears throat> so the people of God are getting ready to enter the land and Moses reminds them of the lessons God's taught them already and as they as they go into the land they have to to think about how God's going to portion out things and this is a key thing that God says so this is the word of God from Deuteronomy chapter 10 at that time the Lord said to me cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first and come up to me on the mountain and make an ark of wood. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets that you broke, and you shall put them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood and cut two tablets of stone like the first and went up on the mountain with the two tablets, excuse me, in my hand. And he, that is God, wrote on in the same writing as before the Ten Commandments, that the Lord has spoken to you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. Then I turned and came down from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark that I had made. And there they are as the Lord commanded me. The people of Israel, Mirath, Abenin, Jachan, to Mosharah, and there Aaron died, and there he was buried. And his son Eliezer ministered as priest in his place. And from there they journeyed to uh, Gudatha. And from Gudatha to Jorbatha, a land with brooks of water. Now here you go. At that time the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to stand before the Lord to minister to him and to bless his name to this day. Therefore, Levi has no portion or inheritance with his brothers. Here's the thing to pay attention to. The Lord is his inheritance, as the Lord your God said to him. The Lord is his inheritance. <clears throat> I myself stayed on the mountain as at the first time, 40 days and 40 nights, and the Lord listened to me that time also. The Lord was unwilling to destroy you. And the Lord said to me, Arise on your journey at the head of the people so that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. So kind of hold that. We'll come back to it later on. <clears throat> now, the reason we're looking at the Nicene Creed as you find in the back of the bolt, uh, hymnal at page uh, 500, 600 
and uh, 800, excuse me, 846, is because uh, it's such a rich Trinitarian confession, and it has such an extended description of Christ. Now, all these things we have to remember uh, were done in the midst of controversy. Uh, the church was clarifying uh, what it understood about God's character, how God reveals himself. And so as uh, they met at Nicaea, they were coming to uh, that clarity uh, to stand against the heresies that were constantly, you might say, nipping at the heels of the church. And so I, I'd like you to stand as we use, if you're able to stand as we use this confession, because we're coming, remember, in the presence of God, and this is what we, as God's people, confess to him, our God. Church of Christ, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father and he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Please have a seat. And again, just just think about what you confessed in God's presence. Because if you confess this, you're confessing as a, a Christian. As someone who believes the truth of Scripture. Uh, about the incarnation and about the atoning work of Christ. And how he has made us to be a kingdom of priests for his God, just as Revelation said. As I mentioned, we're looking in First Peter. We're coming to verses 4 and 5, but uh, I just cannot get away from reading the entire first chapter. So if you have the strength uh, and can stand uh, for the reading of God's word from 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's uh, turn there and hear the word of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, the entire chapter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, 
Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him, Now you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning that salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he, he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal way inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God, having purified your souls for your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all is glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news 
that was preached to you. Amen. This is God's holy word. Have a seat. Is not that great? Isn't that a great passage? It's a passage you could read and read and read, and you'll see so much there. Well, you know that uh, whether it's a little girl and a little boy someplace out there, um, I always try to say something for the kids because when my kids were growing up, a lot of times they said, Dad, you talk a long time. So I wanted them to remember something. Well, one thing when I was growing up is I liked to draw treasure maps. Now, there was no treasure, but I would draw a map with caves and ladders, and uh, I'd have somebody go down the ladders and go through the cave, and they'd, they'd finally get to the treasure. And I'd take the piece of paper, I'd carefully fold it up, and I'd hide it someplace around the house. Now, there's no treasure there, but I just like the thought of finding treasure. Well, what we just heard tells us that Jesus is our treasure. God himself is our treasure. And we don't have to we don't have to find a treasure map because we've got the Bible. And the Bible will tell us all about the things we need to know. That's wonderful, isn't it? Yeah? Well, let's pray that we can all understand the truth that God tells us, okay? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that your Holy Spirit, um, who in mercy has illumined us by, uh, by his power, who inspired these words by his power, uh, who graciously preserved this word for us today, 2,000 years after Peter wrote it, uh, we'd take it to heart. We'd think more clearly about who we are and what it means to live in this world as your people. Please be with us now. Guide my words. Keep me from saying anything untoward that's displeasing to you and cause us all to be eager to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I feel like just going back over the first three verses again um, of this first chapter, but uh, we won't do that except to mention, you see what Peter's doing. Uh, he'll mention the idea of exile twice in this chapter. They were exiled not from a physical place, but they're exiled really from the world. Those who belong to Christ are aliens in this world. He'll talk about that more in chapter 2, that our home is someplace else. And so we're here uh, on a green card, you might say. And how do we live? Uh, those with green cards should pay taxes and all the other stuff. Well, how do we live in this world that God's made? Now, we read in verse 3, as he calls us to turn our thoughts to, to God who does all these things, he reminds us that we are born again. And that phrase wasn't invented by Billy Graham or J. 
Jerry Falwell or anybody. We're born again by the power of God. Jesus had talked about it in John chapter 3, didn't he? We have to be born from above and, and we don't make ourselves Christians. We are made Christians by God Almighty working in our lives. And then he begins to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because it's not just Christ's dying on the cross that atones for our sins, but we are said to be justified through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. That we know that Christ's work on our behalf was accepted by the Father, that Christ was raised from the dead and he's ascended now to the right hand of the Father as we we confessed in this. Now, there are things that flow from that, and Peter begins to talk about the inheritance. And so we're going to think about verses 4 and 5 primarily, this inheritance. Now, some of you already may have gone through the process of receiving an inheritance of some kind. When my mother died, my brother and sister and I met together because we had some furniture that my mom had left from moving away from her house. It was in storage. And so we we put numbers in a hat and we, we each got to choose the thing we wanted the most of my mom's furniture. And the thing I wanted was a, an old, very old, wooden china cabinet. Very plain looking, but I remember it so well because it's where my mom kept the dishes that we'd use on special occasions. Sewing scissors and, and some other things up there. And as a kid, I was always fascinated by that cabinet. I love to help my mom set the table you know, to go over there and open the doors and see the china and take the china out. And when she wanted something from her sewing drawer to run up there and get something from the sewing drawer, I thought that was the greatest thing. And so we got that, thankfully. And now my daughter and her family are using it because it's passed from me to them. Now, that's just a piece of wood. It's, it's old and far beyond being an antique. Now, I don't know how old the thing is, but it's going to fade. It's going to get lost and dented and scratched and all the rest. It's an inheritance that's not static, changeable, that's subject to the fall. The day will come when God brings a new heavens and new earth, and that china cabinet is going to be nowhere to be seen. But the inheritance that Peter talks about here is the inheritance that lasts for us. The inheritance we come. It's the inheritance of the people of God. And I'm going to tell you the end of the sermon now. Our real inheritance is God himself. Because the covenant that God established was one where he said, I will be your God and you shall be my people. 
where God called his people his own treasured possession. So we want to think about what Peter says here under six headings. And you have, if you have the bulletin insert, you see it's the origin of the inheritance, the character of the inheritance, the certainty of the inheritance, reception of the inheritance, advent of the inheritance, and essence of the inheritance. Just trying to help us get our four and five. So don't be slavish about worrying about this. Just a way of helping you think. So start out with the idea of the inheritance. Look at verse 4. To inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, reserved or kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. This inheritance is from God. Now the inheritance that Joni received from her family and when her parents died and I received from my family when my parents died. That is just an earthly inheritance. We're thankful for it. It's very good. But this is inheritance from God himself. God Almighty gave us this. No one can force God to give what he controls. God gives it freely to those who are his. People have had their inheritances stolen. They've been defrauded of it. But we know from the first three verses that God elects a people for himself. He's the one who calls and changes and makes us his own. And because he makes us his own, the inheritance we receive can't be taken away by anything that men do to us. We are as elect strangers called by God's foreknowledge to be his. And we're going to talk more about this as we go along. But he's the one who causes us to be born again. And because he causes us to be born again, we can value this as coming from him. You don't want to despise any of God's gifts. You don't want to say to God, like Esau, I don't want the blessing. Give me the porridge. You don't want to do that. You want to see what God's given you in Jesus Christ. Lay hold of it and hold on to it as your hope. Now, as he explains the character in verse 4, he uses three terms to describe the character of our inheritance. He first of all says that it's an imperishable or an incorruptible inheritance. It's not subject to decay in any way. This happens to be the same word that's used of the body that we receive at the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 52. Receive at the resurrection a body that is incorruptible, not subject to the vicissitudes of this world. This past couple weeks, I've experienced <laughs> in my body 
the reality of this world's hold on me. It's pretty fleeting. It's going to go. And my body is going to go. I remember growing up and uh, we had a lot of surplus World War II camping equipment. Uh, at that time, the Army was getting rid of all kinds of stuff and, and we bought tents and sleeping bags and so forth. And one of the things we got was a utility belt. And you who are in the military know the utility belt that you hang canteens and stuff from. And so I opened up the, the uh, trunk where all this stuff was and, and started to take stuff out. And, and I looked at what happened to that utility belt. One day, guys had been using Brasso <laughs> to clean that thing up. But now it was covered with green decay. It was losing its shine because that's the way things are in this world. Things that we hold on to so tightly, we're going to find just go away. Everything, whether it's our bodies or or the money that our parents leave us, or, or anything like the China cabinet. They go away, but the inheritance that God gives does not go away. It does not grow old. It is not worn out. It is not diminished. It is not proved to be useless in the end. It is unfading, incorruptible. Well, then he says it's undefiled. It's imperishable, undefiled, can be used of Christ. Christ is undefiled, Hebrews 7:25. Christ had no pollution, no stain, no evil in him. There was nothing in Christ because he was the Holy Son of God. Everything in this world is subject to that defilement. We talked about this this morning. We create something, and as soon as we create it, we see, I should have done this, painted this, changed that word. I should have nailed that thing or, or added more oregano or whatever it be. It's not perfect, and that's the way it's going to be. But this is a perfect salvation, a perfect inheritance, that which has not 99%, but 100% pure. A good godly man might, might leave to his children an inheritance, but as Ecclesiastes says, he doesn't know what they're going to do with it. They might waste it all. Just like the prodigal son takes his money, leaves his father, and wastes it. And he comes back, you might say, naked, poor, and without hope until his father receives him. That's what we are. We, we in this world have an inheritance, however, from God that will not fade away. It's heavenly inheritance. And it's unfading. Notice how Peter, like, like Paul, begins to mount up adjectives to, to develop the idea or cause us to think more and more deeply. One of our hymns says, Fading is the worldling's pleasure, all his boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasures, none but Zion's children know. 
fading is the worldling's pleasure. Think of that. How many times have you said, boy, when I drink that, taste that, finish that, create that, have that, satisfy me? And it doesn't. It can't satisfy you because you're not made for that. You're made for a satisfaction that comes from God alone. The believer's inheritance is not going to fade. I remember opening old books and somebody would press a flower and you didn't know what it was for. Maybe it was a flower picked on a certain day and so they stuck it in a book and pressed it and you pick it up and it almost falls apart in your hands. And that's the way worldly inheritance can be, isn't it? It can fall apart in your hands. Well, fading is the worldling's pleasure, but all his boasted pomp and show solid joys and lasting treasures, none but Zion's children know. This is the character, because it's God's character. What a wonderful thing. The inheritance we receive reflects God's own character. God is imperishable. God is from everlasting to everlasting. There's no end to God. There's no beginning for God. God never diminishes. God is always God. He is not corrupt. There is no sin in God. His eyes are too pure to approve evil. He cannot look on wickedness with favor. He's never defiled. And God will always be full of glory, majesty, goodness, holiness, justice, and truth. Everything about God remains ever full, rich, and our joy in heaven will be to see more and more and more of that. So God gives us in accord with his character, and it's always good because his character is good. Now, how certain is this inheritance? We'll look again. He says, to an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Kept in heaven for you. It's kept not on earth where moth and rust corrupt. It's kept in heaven. Your inheritance is safer than Fort Knox. It's safer than any place man could ever devise. God has reserved this inheritance because it's already been purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ. How wonderful that you don't have to wonder, is that inheritance mine? If you have turned to the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins, if you have laid hold of him to say, Lord Jesus, save me, if in turning from sin to Christ, you are joined to Christ, this inheritance is certain. It's so certain that you can build your life upon it. A person may inherit a vast estate, but it can be wasted, just like the prodigal son. Or you might receive an inheritance that's gone in a moment in the stock market, as people did a few years ago. An enemy come and seize what you have. There may be a catastrophic illness that takes away every savings you have to pay for it. 
But this inheritance is watched over and guarded by the greatest security system ever, God himself. Our hymn that we have uh, in the new Psalter hymnal, and many of you know from Keith Getty, No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final death, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. This is the power of Christ in me. This is no vain promise that God makes to us. It's not subject to change or assault. No one no power of the devil, no scheme of man, nothing in this world will take away the things that belong to you in Jesus Christ. And this uh, inheritance is kept. So how do we receive this inheritance? We receive it by faith. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. This is one of the most, you might say, embarrassing and wonderful things about the Christian faith. We by faith. We're not saved by any works we do. We present nothing to God. We cannot say, here, God, receive me because of this is what I've done. Not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed abroad through Jesus Christ our Lord, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Titus chapter 3. When human will is read in a lawyer's office, no interlopers slam the door open and say, I want part of that estate. They don't come and crash the gate when you're dividing up the estate. It's a person who's unknown to the heirs doesn't come in and say, well, I want my share because this is for God's children. This is for those who are called in Jesus Christ because Christ alone is the true heir. Get that. Christ alone is the true heir. And if we are joined to him, the inheritance is ours because we're joined to Christ. Therefore, it can't be taken away. In God's good plan, he's determined that his son, the true and rightful heir, should have a people for himself. The people that uh, Revelation chapter 5 talks about. He has made us a kingdom and priests to his God. What a wonderful thing, brothers and sisters, to come here and when you give your offerings, when you offer up your praise in, in singing, when you join in praying, when you do this, you are priests to our God, offering up your sacrifices, offering up your own presence, your own person to Almighty God. The power of God will preserve this inheritance so that you might receive it. And all those things that Paul will list at the end of Romans 8 that cannot separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus come at you in this world. They come like a stream sometimes and you feel overwhelmed. But God has built a garrison around you. God holds on to you. 
Jesus says, the gates of hell cannot withstand the church that I am building. So we wait for this inheritance. And when does this inheritance come? Look at it. Being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. A frequent plot in books and movies is some heir murders the person who's written the will. They want to get the money sooner, but they can't. The wayward son poisons the old man so he can get hold of the family inheritance, but for us, no. We wait for Jesus. We wait for God to bring Christ. This is a remarkable thing when when we think about this world, how do we look at this world? You've heard this many times, I'm sure, that we live between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ, and all this time in between is called the last days, the last hour. So we can say we are in the last days because nothing remains except the coming of Christ to deliver us finally from this world. And so we wait for that advent. We can't rush possession of it. We, we may want to. There are times where we long for Christ to come. We say, oh, wouldn't this a, be a wonderful time? But Christ says that the Father knows the time. The Father has appointed the time. And he uses this word kairos. In scripture is often the appointed, the set, the determined time. God has set this time that we might know that God who keeps his word will bring it about. He will come when God determines it. He was anointed as king by Samuel. And yet his anointing didn't mean he ascended to the throne at that moment. David was on the run. He was pursued. And we find ourselves pursued in this world, don't we? We're pursued by sin and we're pursued by unbelief and and doubt sees our hearts sometime. And God must hold on to us. And he holds on to us. Revealing the apocalypto, the uncovering. The uncovering is the last one, the final one. That's when Christ will be revealed. What a day. What a day we look forward to. But in, in the meantime, Peter will go on and he'll talk about the, the afflictions that we face. And they're not simply afflictions of the body. They're afflictions that come because if you're in exile, if you're an alien, you may be treated as one. You don't fit in sometimes. You know that there's a Christian poverty law center and they have a list of hate groups. And you know some of those hate groups are Christian groups. That they say those Christian groups are hate groups. They're not. But that presents to us a picture of the opposition that we face in this world. All around the world, Christians are viewed with suspicion, aren't they? They're imprisoned find themselves driven out of country after country 
there's little evidence in the world of the Christian's inheritance because our inheritance is eschatological. It finally comes to us in the last day because that's when Jesus is revealed. Oh, brothers and sisters, do you long for that day? Do you long to see your Savior? To be in his presence? It's not just what you'll receive, but it's to see him. That fills my mind more and more the older I get. And now we have the Holy Spirit to assure us of this. When you find yourself struggling, remember that you already have the promise dwelling in you because the promised Holy Spirit has been given to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. This inheritance with salvation, being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last. Now, people think of the inheritance they're going to receive. Say, ah, you know, there's grandma's china, there are my dad's tools, there's maybe money to pay off college debt or whatever it is. Think back to all the way to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15, verse 1. God told Abraham a remarkable thing. He said to Abraham, I am your exceeding great reward. Not the land. He had the land and he moved in. But he was an Asian Asian. Asian. He was an alien and a stranger there. But God said, I'm your great reward. When they divided the land up, Lot took the wonderful valley at that point, the valley that looked so fertile, and Abraham took the other land. But God said, I'm your exceeding. I'm the one that you inherit. You belong to to me. This is what David would think about in Psalm 16. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. My chosen portion. David was thinking about the division of the land. He was thinking about how the different tribes took things. And there, the tribe of Levi had a scattered city here or here, but they had no territory of their own. They were scattered in the midst of Israel because God was their inheritance. That's what we read in the book of Deuteronomy, and Numbers 18 echoes it. And the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in the land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. Because the tribe of Levi came into God's presence, because they brought the sacrifices into God's presence, because they served in the temple and they were the ones drawing near to God what an awesome thing for Aaron to hear that he a mere mortal man would go into the holy of holies where God had condescended to come and sit between the cherubim and God in his Shekinah glory would be there and Aaron 
would get to stand there or kneel there or fall on his face there as God came to dwell. What an awesome thing. And so we as God's people join Sunday after Sunday to come into his presence and to offer ourselves as sacrifices, living sacrifices, as Paul says. God is faithful. God will not disappear. Your inheritance cannot fade away. You belong to God. In Jesus Christ, you are his. Now, God doesn't focus on these things to make us blind to this world. We heard in Sunday school about using our gifts and our... We live in this world for God's glory. We are his people living as parents, children, citizens. We're living as servants of other people. But we live in this world on the basis of our kingdom's inheritance. So if we don't get these big rewards, we know that our reward is pleasing our Father in heaven. You mentioned Eric Liddell and how he said he runs and he feels God's pleasure. What we do, we offer up to God. Think of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He compares earthly treasures with heavenly treasures. But he fills his sermon with the practicality of turning from sin, of loving one another, of bearing under hardship, of praying, of worshiping together, of giving alms, of all the things that we do as God's people. Wonderful phrase. He said one time, Aim at heaven, and you get earth thrown in. But hear this. Aim at earth, earth alone, and you get neither. You get neither heaven nor earth, because you've wasted it. But say to your heavenly Father, this meal I'm cooking, the beds I'm making for my family, the the laundry I'm doing, the diapers I'm changing, the way I'm dealing with a boss who's obstreperous, difficult to deal with, the frustrations I find in my job, the changing my tires, the changing oil, all these things. I'm saying, I'm in this world because you've given me these things. You've given this situation to me in your province to live out my life before you. Quorum Deo. Martin Luther would say, let goods and kindred so go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. We're called to live by the truth of God, by the gospel we read, by the truth that tells us who we are. We can't get that from the world. The world throws at us. You can choose your own identity. If I choose my own identity, I'm like a boat that's sinking because I'm taking on the water of this world and it's dragging me down. But if I know who I am in Jesus Christ, then I can live my life with purpose, really, with meaning, really.
with joy, really, without fear, really. The great preacher Chrysostom was brought before the Roman Empire. and He was threatened with banishment if he didn't renounce his faith in Christ. And they recorded the dialogue that went between the emperor and this preacher. What was he? He was just a preacher. He was nothing in the eyes of the emperor. He said to the emperor, you cannot banish me for this world is my father's house, but I will slay you. No, you cannot, for my life is hid with God in Christ. I will take away your treasures. No, you cannot, for my treasure is in heaven, and my heart is there already. I will drive you from people, and you will have no friend. No, you cannot, for I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. How do we live? If you're, if God is your inheritance, how will you live? Let's pray. We pray our Father in heaven that you by your grace and mercy might cause us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, reserved by the power of God himself. You will keep your people. You will not desert us or cause us to fail or fade, but we will be brought finally with rejoicing into your presence. And we praise you and thank you that this must happen because you are a God who keeps all your promises in Jesus Christ to us, your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.